should board members have organizational emails? I'm prepping for board training. I need to decide if I want to encourage use of those accounts or let them know that I got rid of them. Oh, get rid of them. <laughs> it's like the shortest question ever. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, every once in a while, I'll see that. Like a board member will have like a business card and then the business card will have their board organization email address on it. And I always like as as someone who feels like they're juggling too much communication anyway, like the thought of having one more email no, address to manage. I agree. And like, like, okay, maybe in the, you know, the 1990s where you, you didn't have a personal email address and this might be the only way right. that you can get electronic communications maybe. But nowadays it's like, that seems like. Yeah. I don't think most crazy. board members, right. Have time to check yet another email address. No. And, and, you know, do they even really want it? I mean, the only thing I can think of is some people feel like they're a little more official. And I hear all the time boards say, oh, we want our business cards. You can have a business card without having your own personal email, right? So if if that is an issue. But the only two reasons I could see for making the case for an organizational email uh, are one that perhaps I don't know if this if this you know, if you have board members that have strict policies within their corporations that, you know, all emails monitored and they're not supposed to have a lot of personal email or, or there's issues like that that can come up that things that are not work related can get them into trouble. Mm-hmm. So perhaps that and yet you would hope they might just have a personal email account, but whatever, you know, that's not tied to the nonprofit. But that's one way. That's one reason I've seen organizations do this. I've also seen on a practical note, one of the reasons it's happened is like if you're making a so if you have a fundraising committee, right, and maybe you want your volunteer committee member or volunteer, you know, you want your board member to actually make the ask, sometimes having it tied to, you know, the organization's name um, might might help a bit, although I just think there's other ways around it, right? You can put board member at the bottom of such and such organization and have a different email address. But but the reality is that some organizations say we want it to be coming from, makes it look more official if we have it coming from someone within our organization, you know, as a board member. Um, I, you know, in general, I feel like it's more appropriate for a working board than a governing board. Like if you're a governing board, do you really need your own email address? No. no especially if you have, right, an executive director and a team right. running things. Yeah. Um, and if, if, if you have a board that really insists on having an email, I guess I would just really want to know why and, and, and trying to figure that out. And then do not give, I, it's a pain in the butt to give them individual named emails, like have it be position titles, right? You know, board chair, board president at XYZ organization, whatever. Like, I just... I, I don't think like individual named emails make much sense at all. Yeah. So what this a little bit off topic, what what about, it's been a a few years since I've seen these like advertised or pitched, but like there used to be this sort of push for like board portals where there was, there was a a thing and you'd have a login and all the stuff would be on there and like. Still really big out there. And there's, it's really growing. It's an industry that's growing with a lot more platforms. So it's interesting because I think you can also have, you know, um, that, that can help maybe with some of the issue. Yeah, that's what I was thinking is like having some sort of, because if it's really about sort of internal board communication and you want to keep things kind of separate from personal email addresses right. and work email addresses and things like that. That's, that's one way to do that. a great way to do that. And then you can have your documents in there and votes and message boards and whatever else, whatever other garbage <laughs> you feel like you need in there. 
Absolutely. I actually have a, I'm sort of smiling as you say this because a lot of these abort portals also have tools to let you um, see who's accessing the information. So if you put all your board meeting materials there, I've actually heard of nonprofits starting to, if, if, they notice no one is accessing materials before a board meeting on the board portal. They'll, the board chair will address it at a board meeting and say, hey, you know, our board portal is showing no one's checking things out. And just reminder, you're supposed to be prepared for these meetings. <laughs> 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 Anyways, I think it's kind of funny. But um, yeah, technology is our friend here and it doesn't have to be an email address. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Hey everybody, it's Stacy Wedding here, and I am with my partner in crime, Andy Shurick. Andy, how are you doing today? I'm good. Are you? I'm good. It's so it's it's fall. It's cold outside. I'm wearing a sweater, which is great. Doesn't that feel great? Oh my gosh! This time of year, I almost didn't want to come back. It's like 50 degrees outside. Actually, it's not even that. It's like 30 something. And I did not literally did not want to go in the house. I went out this morning and I was going to get in the car to come tape a podcast with Stacy. And I just stood there for about five minutes, going, "Yes, not five, maybe 30 seconds." It was cold. <laughs> but like, it was so nice. <laughs> it is. It's like it's that time of year where I just want to curl up in the blankets and not get out of bed in the morning, right? It's that time of year where it's just like, ooh, or you want to go outside and be like, oh yeah, this crisp air, let's take a walk. It's just a good time of year. So anyways, thanks for joining us. So this is another episode of Nonprofit Everything. And as you know, Andy and I do our best to answer your questions about everything related to nonprofit. So whether you are a board member, a staff member at any uh, stage in your organization, level of your organization, whether you are a volunteer, a donor, whatever, we want to hear from you. So um, the way we can hear from you is you asking us a question and you can go to nonprofiteverything.com. You can go to the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits website, ask us a question, go to our Facebook page, uh, Nonprofit Everything, and let us know your questions because this is only as good as you and your questions. So with that, a huge thanks to Anne for making this possible. Uh, you know, I am so grateful that uh, that we've got an organization like Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits in the community to provide resources and help and support and capacity building for, for nonprofits. I don't know about you, Andy, but when I worked at, at nonprofits, it was a godsend. Today's episode is sponsored by Brenda J. Stout CPA, a full-service accounting firm specializing in nonprofit tax compliance and IRS problem resolution. Find out more at brendastoutcpa.com or check the Nonprofit Everything show notes for contact information. Thank you, Brenda J. Stout CPA. Thank you, Brenda. We're doing a golf tournament, and I know how to value the tangible stuff for sponsorships, but how do I value the non-tangible stuff like a sponsor's banner? Uh, Don't do a golf tournament. Come on. (laughs) Please. (laughs) We have so many. (laughs) Don't do a golf tournament. Okay, so you've... So you're creating, what I'm understanding is you're creating a sponsorship package and you're trying to figure out like how much to charge the sponsor for the stuff. And then, and then you're putting together a menu and you're saying, here's all the stuff you're going to get. And this is the value of the stuff. And then this is how much I'm going to charge you for the sponsorship. And you seem to have been able to understand how much a golf foursome costs and how much the snacks cost and what the physical things are. But then something like a sponsor's banner, well, you're firmly into IRS is 
going to be on you about this territory? Because if it's advertising, you actually have to do some other stuff. So there's a big difference between sponsorship and advertising, and it's kind of a very fine line. The IRS has written a lot about it. And this would be a perfect example rather than me just complaining about golf tournaments to actually <laughs> pitch it to an expert, I think. <laughs> so we can ask somebody that can answer the question correctly and not be grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> You're a grumpy cat. Hey, everybody. It's Stacy Wedding here. And I am with a very special guest today, Jessica Sales. We're so excited to have you, Jessica. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about Jessica, but I'm sure she can do a much better job than I can. So Jessica is the managing principal at Holdsworth Russo and Company. And uh, for any of our, our nonprofit listeners, you will know, you probably have heard of HRC uh, very much uh, an incredibly reputable, top-notch uh, firm that helps uh, nonprofits with all sorts of things to do with accounting and audits and everything in between. So thank you. Thank you for joining. Thank you so much. Yeah, at HRC, we have over 180 Southern Nevada nonprofit clients between consulting, audit, and Form 990 work. So we really do have a good handle on the nonprofit community here in town and the, the issues facing nonprofits. That's great. That's great. So tell us a little bit. I mean, tell us something, I don't know, any more to add to the flavor of, of your background. And I know you're incredibly seasoned and well-versed in all this, but tell our, our listeners a little bit more about yourself and maybe a fun fact as well. We, we always like <laughs> to know the fun stuff. <laughs> So I've been with HRC for the past 13 years. I've been a partner since 2013 and the managing partner for the, the past two years. I'm originally from Hawaii. And so I'm, I moved here in 2001, the ninth island, as we call it. And I'm still really involved in the Pacific Islander community. I moved out here to be a competitive hula dancer. Um, I love that. And I have since put my, yeah, my competitive ways behind me, but I still recreationally dance with a group called Ka'ili Ha'ohula. And we dance every Saturday and, and do practice and we go out and do a lot of the cultural events in town. Um, I'm also on the board of TIP, the Trauma Intervention Program of Southern Nevada, and I have been for several years. And it's a, a cause near and dear to my heart. So I both work in the nonprofit community on at the board level and I also work on it on this exterior level um, with, with accounting and tax consulting work. Well, that is wonderful. Our community is so lucky to have you. And I got to check out one of these hula dances, right? I mean, this is, you know, I think, we'll I think see, we'll, see yes. ego, yes. <laughs> well, I think it's one of those things where I always feel bad. I think like accountants get a bad rap for, uh, you know, the people have this like image, right? Like they're no fun. And that is yes. absolutely not true when you dig into, you know, a little bit more about the person. So I think you're a perfect yeah. example of that. Yes. I can't speak for the accounting profession as a whole, but for the most part, yes, we're real people behind the green visor and our suspenders. <laughs> awesome. Well, and I love your sense of humor. So thank you. Um, all right. Thank well, you. we're, we're going to just um, jump right in. So we had a, a question that came up that we thought, um, you probably could answer. And uh, our, the person who wrote the question said, we're doing a golf tournament and I know how to value the tangible stuff for sponsorships, but how do I value the non-tangible stuff like a sponsor's banner? 
Yeah, so it's a great question. I want to step back first and and help the listeners understand why we are giving this information to our donors. I think a lot of times you're charged with giving this information to your donors uh, from a fundraising perspective, but you may not understand why. So the intent is to provide your donor with the dollar value of what they received in exchange for their sponsorship. The reason the IRS wants you to provide this information to your donors is because only the difference between what they gave you and what they received in exchange can be deducted as a tax deductible donation to your donor. So if they gave you $10,000 sponsorship and received 5,000 worth of good goods and services in exchange, only that remaining 5,000 would be a tax deductible donation to the donor. So valuing what they're receiving in exchange for their sponsorship is really important. The tangible is easy enough. What did you pay for it? What are they directly receiving? That intangible is where it gets more complicated. In this particular case with a banner, odds are there is no actual value associated with it unless there's some type of advertising that goes along with that banner and with their sponsorship. Advertising being some kind of qualifying language. Um, The professionals in philanthropy, the best advisors in all of Southern Nevada. Call this number and get a discount. That's clearly advertising, um, some kind of call to action on that banner. If it's simply professionals in philanthropy, proud to sponsor whole eight on this golf tournament, um, there probably isn't an actual value associated with it. To find out, I would go to the golf course, the people who own the golf course or who you're using that space from and ask them how much would they charge to have just a name on a banner. It's probably pretty nominal. In that case, I would say there's probably no value associated with it. And that's part of just that contribution piece that your sponsor gave you. You know, that's, um, that's really helpful. And I think, I I guess I have a follow up to that. So, so let's take the situation like, and I think most, most listeners probably it is just the sponsor logo or whatever, just saying, Mm -hmm, yeah, they sponsors, mm -hmm. right? Because that's what, what we see most typically in the nonprofit sector. Exactly. Yeah. You know, let's say let's say there was an instance of it was an advertising like, Oh, you know, a direct advertisement. Do you have any guidance then in that situation about what someone needs to do to figure out what the advertising value is? So on a banner, it gets a little bit more difficult because it's not a traditional form of advertisement. Let's say, you know, let's go big picture and and a little bit extreme that maybe your sponsorship comes with some kind of billboard space, something really big. I would go somewhere to an advertising company that, that does actually sell that type of space and get some kind of average cost from them of what they would charge to advertise in that space and then provide that back to my donor as the value of the services they received in exchange. Um, okay. It gets a little difficult. You have to be creative sometimes and where you're going with uh, to get the value. Uh, programs is where I see this pretty frequently with special events. So you will do adver- true advertising in your programs. So there is some kind of, maybe let's say a coupon for services for one of your sponsors. And that, that really is advertising in there. You can go to publications and ask how they charge for that type of space, a quarter page ad, a full page ad, um, and come up with some kind of value for your donors by being creative and reaching out to the resources that you have. Okay. Even the people printing sometimes your um, your pamphlets or your banners may have some idea of, of what those charges would be. 
Okay. Um, and so that means maybe this ties into, because I think some people get confused when they hear the language, you know, fair market value. Can you help maybe? Mm -hmm. So, so does fair market value, and I'm going to just say this in layman's terms, means sort of like what the, what you would buy it on the normal average, like market. Like if I went out to a store to yes. buy something, right? Okay. Okay. That's exactly right. So when we come down to it, our fair market value that we want to be providing back to our donors and that we want to recognize vice versa when we receive in-kind good, goods and services and we want to record it as the nonprofit, the fair market value would be just in an open market, not a discount for being a nonprofit. Uh, if, if these people were selling us the exact same goods and services at an undiscounted rate, what would they charge us or anyone on that open market? That's the fair market value of what we're receiving or what we're get, giving in return. Okay. Okay. Well, good. I think that um, some of this stuff, you know, it, it can be so much more complex than I think people starting out <laughs> realize. Absolutely. Yeah. There's layers upon layers. And, I, and, and one thing to caution, when we talk about that advertising, that's one of those hot ticket areas for the IRS. If you find that you have true advertising, either in a pamphlet, on a banner, um, in a publication, maybe you're a membership organization and you're sending out newsletters frequently that have advertising in them. Advertising can be taxable to nonprofit organizations. There's a lot of if this, then this, um, a lot of paths to go down before determining it truly is advertising, but that is something to look out for if you have a lot of it. So is this the best, um, so when someone, when a nonprofit runs into a question like this, and uh, and let's say they don't have access to this podcast and, and, and a special guest like you, and, and it's someone that's an expert like you, what is, where is the best place for them to try to figure this out? Um, where should they go? I would probably go to the IRS's website. As scary as that sounds, there are a lot of publications that are written very, very well. Um, two publications that I give pretty frequently to my clients. One is publication 1771. Uh, that is a publication that goes over receiving and acknowledging charitable donations. And the IRS gives very easy to read instructions on what you should provide to your donors. And the other is publication 598. And that's for unrelated business income. If you find yourself in those murky waters. Oh, that's perfect. And we will uh, make sure to put links to that. And of course, to the, to the HRC website as well, because I'm, I'm assuming that some of what you do and guide nonprofits with are these kinds of questions that come up. Is yes. that correct? Okay. Yes. Yes. And sometimes we just do it in a very small capacity where we help provide the questions that the nonprofits don't even know to ask. We may not go any further than that once they determine, yes, something is or is not applicable, but we can at least point them in the right directions and help them ask those questions. Okay. And then this is sort of a, it's, it's a different question, um, but it's kind of related to the one we just spoke on and it probably relates to that IRS publication you just mentioned, uh, the 1771 uh, about sort of acknowledging donations. So, so this is where I've heard a lot of nonprofits get, have some confusion. So they end up, right, there, there's this piece of it of valuing the sponsorship or any goods and services provided. But let's say a donor gives a I, we're just going to, for by way of example, a, a, a gift of stock, right? Publicly traded stock. I have heard mm -hmm. out there, and tell me if this is true, that you're not supposed to provide a value to the donor in that case. Is, is, is that true or is that just some crazy myth? So 
stock gets a little bit more complicated because the value that they gave it to you at may not be the value that you recognize. Um, Non-cash items should not, we should not provide the value back to the donor. Cash items we can. So, and, and this is covered in publication 1771. So a donor gives you cash, you can say, thank you very much for the $500. Non-cash items, we are not supposed to provide a value back to the donor. So stock would be a non-cash item. And so you would say, thank you very much for my 50 shares of Microsoft that you donated on this date. You wouldn't say, thank you very much for my 50 shares of Microsoft that I then sold for this amount or that I realized at this amount. Because what they gave it to us at and what we may realize later are two different numbers. So you're correct. You have heard correctly through the grapevine. (laughs) You should only recognize, you should only acknowledge back to a donor the cash value of what they gave you. Not cash value, I'm sorry, the cash they gave you. Okay. If they gave you a non-cash item, you just describe what that non-cash item was. Okay. That's perfect. Thank you. And I think some of this stuff starts to get all, at least I, I know in my head back in the days I worked at a nonprofit, it would go, get all interwoven and felt yes. like I was and, like, wait. And it does. And, <laughs> yeah. and there are exceptions if you've had certain appraisals done. Um, there are exceptions. The general rule is yes for cash, no for non-cash and providing a value. Okay, well, Again, thank you. General well, rule. Yes, yes. We are not going to hold you. Don't worry. We're not holding you to that. It's, it's more of a, it's a <laughs> general guideline. Bad. Yeah, and don't, don't you love it? I just put you on the spot with that because I started in my head thinking, gosh, that was a question that came up no. for me back in my days. So thank you for just going with that. But um, no, it sounds no like absolutely for these more, um, if you ever have a question, you know, ask, you know, call, call your CPA, call the person who guides you with this stuff or, absolutely. you know, check out IRS publication, you know, the publication. 1771 or 598 and it sounds like uh, if you feel like doing that due diligence and homework yourself go for it but uh, I, I think most people hear IRS and break out into a cold sweat so. uh, yes absolutely but I, I promise these publications are not written in legalese they are very easy to read with very good specific examples that's perfect cool all right well as we wrap up just one final question is we're we're, we're nearing 2020 right we're getting close which is yes. uh, just hard to believe uh, it's a whole new decade i i'm trying not to think about that because that's just overwhelming but uh and makes me feel really old um but as far as what nonprofits, is there anything that should be on their radar that you can just share generally radar in, in moving forward into a new year? Absolutely. So this past year, we had a couple of changes that were in effect. The first being the, the nonprofit parking tax, which I believe you might have spoken on briefly in another podcast. Yes. Um, and I know we've been talking to a lot of our clients about there's been some new accounting reporting standard changes uh, for you, for the nonprofits that receive any kind of audited financial statements. And then in 2020, at various times, depending on your year end, the new lease recognition standards will be in effect. Those basically make it so that you don't expense any of your leases or very few of your leases anymore. You now have to recognize them on your balance sheet as both an asset and a liability. So for those of you familiar with capital leases, most of your leases will be recognized similarly to those old capital leases. This is a big deal because you're going to significantly increase increase your balance sheet numbers, those assets and those liabilities. And what I've been talking to most of my clients about is um, any of those clients with loan covenants outstanding that have any kind of issues with um, 
what their debt to equity ratios are, if they have to have certain asset balances. We want to make sure that their lenders recognize that this new standard is coming and balance sheets for most of our clients are going to be changing. Okay. Oh my gosh. It's, it never just remains stat, like status quo. No. Never. <laughs> well, it really doesn't. And, yeah. and this is a big one because numbers are changing pretty significantly for our clients that are recognizing these leases. Okay. Okay. Well, um, we will definitely, I'm, I'm sure our listeners hopefully will, uh, will check, find out more about that, or at least, uh, you know, keep more. Is, is there information out there that um, is available on this if they just do a, a search, an internet search? Yes. If you just, if you look up lease recognition standards, you'll get all kinds of articles and information. And you can even get more specific lease recognition for nonprofits. It'll give you effective dates of when you need to start looking at this and give you some examples on how to start recognizing those leases. Well, it sounds to me like that would be some good bedtime reading material. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. If you suffer from insomnia, I promise yes. that recognition will, will help you out. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you. And I and thank you for letting me pick on that. It's, some of this stuff is just uh, for our, our finance gurus listening. They're probably eating this yeah. up. But uh, people like me who aren't one the of those of us, finance yeah. gurus, right? Yeah. So anyways, well, Jessica, I can't thank you enough for sharing your time, your expertise with us. Uh, um, and, and all of our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. Our treasurer resigned unexpectedly yesterday. How do we go about finding a new one? Oh, dear. That's not a good thing. No. Yikes. That makes me say why. Ugh. Yeah, why? So, I, yeah. I hate answering questions with it depends, but it depends. And what it depends on is, is your board a working board or is your board a governing board? Yes. So if your board's a working board, like then I think you know what the next steps are, which is like, where's the QuickBooks file? <laughs> like who, who who has the bank account information? Yeah. Like does he still have a debit card? Like all of those like sort of checklist of the same thing you would want for, you know, we talk about when, when you lose an executive director and they're the only people that know the passcode to the alarm, right? <laughs> like oh, the, <laughs> cringe. Right. Yes. It's, it's like the same kind of thing. You need to have that in place so that like when this person wanders off, gets hit by the bus, the proverbial bus, um, did, what happens? So, so if you're a working board, yeah, that's the kind of thing you probably need to think about in advance. Um, since, since it happened yesterday and it was surprised. And I mean, again, don't ask the podcast if it's an emergency. Yes. Online one. Yes. Um, <laughs> we need like a nonprofit nine one one. We do. Yeah. Well, there kind of is, I mean, you can always call Anne. So Anne has a phone number. And if you do have a question that you need answered, like immediately, like call that phone number and somebody will get well, back to you. That's great to know. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's kind of nonprofit nine one one. So go to the Anne webpage. The, the phone number's right there. I don't have it memorized. We'll put it in the show notes. But yeah, it's easier to just go to the Ann webpage and find the phone number and give it a call. Um, so, but back to this one, if, you know, how do you go about finding a new treasurer? So the first thing I would do is look on your existing board. So the fact that you're asking the question means that maybe you don't see somebody else on the board that has the skills and it reminds me that it's probably a working board. And so there's no other CPA or bookkeeper on your board. So right. you're now all of a sudden you're freaking out who's going to actually do the bookkeeping. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's a hard question to go around and, and ask people that aren't engaged with your organization. Hey, I have two questions for you. Right. <laughs> Number one, will you join the board? Number two, will you be a free bookkeeper for us? Right. That's that's going to be a super hard ask. It is. Um, so so at this point, I would probably recommend if if that's the situation, 
finding a bookkeeper that you can pay, they're not that expensive. And if your organization is a small organization that's got a working board, most likely your books aren't super complicated. Right. So you're not looking at a ton of money, but it's the kind of thing that, you know, if you aren't willing to learn those skills and nobody else on your board is willing to learn those skills, that it's probably something that you're going to want to pay for. Um, and then to find a treasurer, a treasurer doesn't necessarily have to be, and, and I've heard I've heard people that have different opinions on this too. A treasurer doesn't have to be a CPA or an accountant or somebody that has right. a financial background. Um, I, I always joke that a lot of times the treasurer ends up being like a banker and bankers are sort of notorious uh, for not yes. really understanding the numbers because they're salespeople. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that happens all the time. It does, yeah. yeah. Well, like, you know, he said, you're an investment advisor. Well, sort of, like, you're just kind of selling right, somebody else's right. products. Um, so so a lot of times the person that you've got in that treasurer position, like, like they know what they're looking at, but they don't know it, know it. They're not a CPA. And and that's okay if as long as you have somebody else that does know what they're looking at. If you're paying a bookkeeper, if you're paying somebody to do the nine ninety, that kind of stuff. Um, so so I would I would look for maybe hiring somebody and then and then and then letting somebody grow into that treasurer position and learning that. And I like that idea. So if you hired you know the bookkeeper to help with kind of the day to day stuff that you need done and the just the the normal stuff, um, and then you have an existing board member that you could even give them. I mean, there's so much training out there, right? There's books on this, there's training, there's, there's stuff that is less dry than other stuff Mm -hmm. that they could learn some basics of here's what it means to help an organization in a treasurer role. And here's what it means. I mean, I think there's some opportunity there. The other thing people could look at is perhaps, um, I don't know if it's a small organization, they, they may not have this, but if there's an audit or a finance committee, those are, and you have outside volunteers, those are people you could potentially look at, um, you know, seeing if, if they want to kind of transition onto your board and go into that role. Uh, there are groups, right? There's societies and trade associations related to finance professionals, right? I think Nevada Society of CPAs exists. There's things like that out there that you could even, if, if you really are trying to, to make that ask, um, to go out there not knowing the level of, of whether this is a working or governing board, there's opportunities there. I don't know if that's going to be as quick as, as this organization needs. And so it really feels like, to your point, whether it's hiring a bookkeeper or saying, hey, can we have someone internally you know, on our board now, even if you'll just temporarily th- fill the role of treasurer because we need that role filled until we can find, you know, and, and we commit to trying to find someone to, to sort of, you know, fill this permanently. But if you can kind of do this on a temporary basis, I mean, again, what bylaws allow or, or try to make that work because it just, yeah, you don't want to have nobody as a treasurer. Yeah. And I mean, that kind of goes for all of the, the roles on your board too, right? Yeah. Each, each one of those roles has a responsibility and you want to make sure that there's somebody, if something happens, you want to make sure that, that you're not just stuck because nobody knows yeah. how to do what that person was doing. So, so making sure that the board is really sharing some of those responsibilities and you're not just, you know, dumping it all in this one person because they're nice right. and they're a bookkeeper. I think a vice, uh, you know, sort of a vice chair position or sort of president elect or chair elect can also be a really powerful position to step in in times like these, because in general, those positions um, tend to be underutilized, mm-hmm. if right? And yeah. so they can wear two hats and actually fill in at least until you find someone. And it would be great learning for them if they're going to be the chair, future chair. So, so maybe that's an opportunity too.
You did it. You got to the end of the Nonprofit Everything podcast. Stacey and I are so happy to get your questions. Um, the, the better the questions, the more fun we have. Even like, I think this week we had a question that seemed really simple and then we made it really complicated. Yeah, we're really good at that, aren't we, Andy? We're really good at that. Um, so ask us all kinds of stuff. If, if it's nonprofit related, you know what we really like is we really like those I think what I've noticed is I've as we're editing them and putting them together, um, the questions that I think are the most interesting are the ones that are sort of HR related, that are that are people are having challenges within their nonprofit and they have a question about how to deal with a particular touchy situation. I think those are really those feel really meaty. Ooh, they're kind of yeah, juicy. Yeah, yeah, I feel like and especially because Stacy has like Stacy and I have totally different opinions on some of these, and I always like learn a ton of stuff when Stacy's talking. I'm like, yeah, that's a really good idea. Oh, I see her nodding at Andy, <laughs> and then I feel like a complete idiot. But. <laughs> no, I think they're fantastic. So so thank you for the questions. Keep sending them. Send them to nonprofit everything the webpage. Send them to Alliance for Nevada nonprofits, send them to Stacy, send them to me, and we will continue to answer them. But thanks for joining us today. Mm-hmm.